0: Of Acts chapter 2. We're going to cover the next section from verses 14 through 21 this morning. And the title of my message is When All of Our Dreams Come True. When All of Our Dreams Come True. Some of you out there may have taken a trip to Disney World uh, in your time, taking the kids down to Disney World. And I, I can't help but think of Jiminy Cricket. And Jiminy Cricket and singing that song, When You Wish Upon a Star. And uh, you know, and I don't know the whole song, but the whole message of that song, and it's that kind of that that Disney theme, right? Is that you just come to Disney World, especially as a little child, and your eyes are full of stars, and and all of your dreams will come true, and your bills will come later, right? <laughs> I think about I think about this idea of dreamers today. If y'all have been following the news a lot lately, and there's just kind of this big controversy right now about the children that were brought in illegally by their parents into this nation and you know, trying to reach a compromise, and I'm not going to get political on you this morning, but, but you know, one side would say that you know, it wasn't the children's fault that they got brought into this country illegally, so, so we need to give them an opportunity to fulfill their dreams here in America, the land of opportunity, right? And, and I think that there's some, some valid arguments there, but a lot of people would get uh, on different sides of the aisle about that. But dreamers, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about dreamers. I think about Martin Luther King Jr., In his famous speech, I have a dream where he says he would envision this dream where little black children and little white children would be playing together and and there would be true social harmony in America for the very first time where no one's judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. And what an inspiring speech that was. Every time I listen to him give that speech, it just gives me chills. But then also look at the state of our social nation as it's in right now, and I don't know if that dream has been yet fulfilled. I don't know if we can say with all certainty that the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. to see true social unity and true social harmony in this nation has been realized. It's hard for me to see that. And then there's John Lennon. I'm a, I am ai grew up learning music. You hear me playing up here with the band, and then I, I, the, the first book that I ever received to learn how to play a guitar was a Beatles fake book. It's a book with all the Beatles songs and chords in it. And so I, my parents were big hippies in the 60s and 70s, and they kept all their old Beatles records. And when me and my brother would listen to those. And man, I became just, just hooked, a fan of the Beatles. And of course, they dissolved back in the 70s. And John Lennon carried on in his own individual career. And, and, in, you know, and he wrote this song, and many of you probably will, will recognize, Imagine. You know, all probably familiar. Very, very catchy song, and, and apparently John Lennon had a dream. I want to read you some of the lyrics from John Lennon's song titled, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It's, it isn't hard to do nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you will join us and the world will be as one. And it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, it just has this, this ring to it, I and mean, it just this appeals to our human nature, right? Just this utopia that John Lennon had in his heart and his mind as he wrote that song. And I have to just wonder, when he met his tragic end, when some deranged person came to him in New York City in 1980 and shot him to death, I wonder what was going through the mind of John Lennon at that very moment. I wonder if he was really believing that his dream of this utopian World where all the brotherhood of man and everybody's just going to be all one big happy family and every all of our problems are going to go away if we can just get rid of this religion stuff and just get rid of all this divisive polarizing stuff that that we all just fight over and it just brings division in our society. If we can just get rid of all that, then everything will be all right. But the problem with John Lennon's dream is the problem with a lot of people's dream is that his imagination or his dream just does not line up or conform to reality. It does not conform to what is true, to what is real. It, it's humanistic in its, in its very nature. John Lennon was, was hoping that he could create his own world made in his own image or in the image of mankind. And yet as we sit here today and we look around our world today, I think it's evident to all of us that that's just not going to work. Every time man has tried to do something in his own image, it has fallen and failed in utter ruin and Destruction. But you know what's so tragic about John Lennon's song is that if you think about it and you listen to it closely enough, the things that it seemed like he desired, peace on earth, humanity as one, uh, a brotherhood of man, all these things that it seemed like he was really wanting and desiring was really a picture of the coming kingdom of God. Whether he realized it or not, what he was really wanting and deeply in his heart, I don't doubt the fact that John Lennon desired to have this utopian dream come true, but what he was really looking for and hoping for was not rooted in what he thinks mankind can do, but is only rooted in what God alone can do. When all of our dreams come true, what if I told you today that I could guarantee that all of your dreams can come true? Think about that. What if I could tell you right now, I guarantee that all of your dreams can come true. Would you believe me? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, here's the key to that. Let me, let me qualify that, that statement or that question with another statement. I can guarantee that all of your dreams will come true. I can guarantee that all of my dreams will come true if we're willing to dream God's dream. Let me say that again. I can promise you today and guarantee that your dreams can and will come true, my dreams can and will come true, if we are willing to dream God's dream. Because God's dream is the only dream that will most certainly come true. You see, I think it is time for Christians to dream of a brighter day and a brighter future. I think it is time for Christians to dream big dreams of faith and to pray big prayers of faith and hope. I do believe that God is calling this generation to to begin to see the world again from his viewpoint, from his vision, from his perspective. I believe God is calling us to be dreamers again. And that's what this passage of scripture is really all about. God calling you and calling me to learn how to be true dreamers again according to his dream that he has already laid out before us. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Now remember... Here we see the day of Pentecost, uh, the, the, the apostles are overwhelmed and filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to communicate the mighty works of God in other known languages and people are just overwhelmed and they can't imagine what's happening. And so Peter stands up to kind of bring some, uh, to bring some stability, to bring some, some explanation as to what's really happening because if you, if you pick up where we left off last time, the crowd was accusing the apostles of being drunk. They're saying, what, there's something, there's an an unknown substance controlling these people, and we just have to assume that it's some type of alcohol or something, because they got into it early in the morning. And Peter stands up, and listen to what he says in verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give an ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he's going to give us a recap of something that Joel prophesied from the Old Testament. Listen to what he says And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be. Saved, Will you pray with me this morning before we start? Lord, I just want to thank you for this passage. I pray that it would not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, but God, it would just overwhelm us like your love overwhelms us and that it would transform us and compel us to live out the dream that you have set before us as your children. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to give you some dreams this morning, four dreams. Dream number one, we should dream to see a spiritual revival in these last days. Amen. We should dream to see a spiritual revival in these last days. That's exactly what Peter is prophesying here. He's talking about the prophet Joel and something that the people of Israel expected, you know, and, and as the, he stands up to kind of bring some clarity to the situation. They've been accused of being drunk, and what does Peter do? He stands up, and he says, well, it's got to be 5 o'clock somewhere, Right? I caught you on that, didn't I? <laughs> Y'all, I'm bad at telling jokes, by the way. I'm not good at telling jokes. So if I can get you to laugh, I'm doing a pretty good job. No, what does he say? He says, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. People, these, they're not drunk. What was, it correlated 9 o'clock in the morning with the time of prayer for a good, devout, religious Jew of that day. They would have been not drinking at 9 o'clock in the morning. They would have been having time, what? Praying, and of course we know they were praying, they received the Holy Spirit, and so this promise was in a direct fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. This was something that the children of Israel were waiting for. This is something that they were expecting is this day when the Holy Spirit of God will be poured out upon God's people in this new and living way. And we don't see this this true pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't see this realized in the Old Covenant under the Old Testament as the children of Israel tried to relate to God in that way. No, this is something that was promised in the New Covenant, and we saw that last week. So this is the beginning of the last days or the church ages. And so Peter says, in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, what is Peter saying? That was about 2,000 years ago. Peter said, these are the last days. Well, here we are 2,000 years later, and the Lord still is yet to return. So so how do we understand? What is he really saying? Well, this is the best way I can help you understand what he's talking about. At that moment... As the day of Pentecost arrived and the Holy Spirit was given to God's people, that was the countdown for the last days began. The countdown began right there. So this was the, the God began to relate to humankind in a whole different way, in a whole new way, this way of the Holy Spirit of God. It's saving people from every tribe and tongue and nation and kindred from all nations of the earth. And so Peter is saying, this is a fulfillment. This is something that we were looking forward to. These are indeed the beginning of the last days. Days. And so we are still living in what? We are still living in the last days. It's exactly what Peter is talking about. And this promise of God to, to reach the nations with his salvation, look, this promise goes way back even beyond Joel. It goes way back even beyond Moses. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Because if y'all remember in Genesis chapter 12, when God originally gave this promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed. So we have to understand that this was God's intention and, and, and his plan all along was to reach the nations and to save people from every nation under the heavens according to his good promise and good news to redeem these people and that promise goes all the way back to Abraham and then we see it fulfilled and repeated in the Old Testament and now Peter is standing up and he's saying everything that we've been waiting for, this wonderful revival, this spiritual awakening is about to take place. It's taking place and this is the fulfillment of that promise. Now, let us make no mistake about this dream. This dream of spiritual revival. I kind of want to start here. Because when Peter begins to explain the promise to pour out his spirit on sons and daughters and old men and young men and all of my servants, I want you to understand that God's desire to begin to do a great work always begins with his own people let me say that again when God is getting ready and preparing to do a great work he doesn't necessarily go to the heathen who does he start with he starts with you and he starts with me as a matter of fact Peter said it this way judgment begins not with the world begins where with the household of God Peter draws that correlation in his writings as well. He's saying, look, if we're worried about what's happening in the world, if we're worried about the world being judged by God, we need to look at ourselves first because if there's going to be a true spiritual revival, if we're going to realize this dream in our lifetime, we need to look inwardly. We need to examine ourselves. What does the book of 2 Chronicles say? If my people, right, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then what? Then I'll hear from heaven, and I will deliver them, and I will heal their land. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's the promise that God gives us for spiritual awakening, spiritual revival. It's going to start with his people. Now, as God's people, and I've preached on this a whole lot, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but we have to ask ourselves if we're not seeing spiritual revival take place right now, let's say in Bartlett, Tennessee, or among Christ Church, in your estimation, you can make a judgment about that one way or the other. But I, one of my prayers, and I've shared this with many people, I, I want to I live to see the day when God really does a great work where we, we are just overwhelmed and amazed. I've never, I've never personally witnessed. I mean, you, you've, you can read throughout church history. You can read throughout American history about how God has broken loose and just unleashed his spirit, and God has poured out his power upon communities and even nations, and that there have been great revivals spawned throughout all of our generations before us, but I haven't yet lived to see that day, and I want to see that. That's one of the desires of my heart. Lord, please let me just see you work and move in a way that we can't explain other than it's you. Do you have that very same desire? And if you don't have that very same desire, why not? And even if you do have that very same desire, but maybe we're not seeing what we want and what we desire God to see, I think the only thing we can do is put ourselves in a position to receive from God that which is promised. And we've talked a lot about this. Again, I said putting ourselves in in a posture, a spiritual posture to receive. You know, it would be like someone trying to pour you a cold drink of water and you just put your hand right over the top of the glass. It's not that God is not pouring out his spirit Today, I think God is pouring out His Spirit all over the place, constantly, continually. I don't think the problem was with God's lack of pouring out His Spirit today. I think part of the problem is that His vessels, His people, are closed off. I do. I believe that in many ways we close ourselves off to what God has for us. It's like putting our hand over our cup so that the water can't go in. It's like trying to fill up your gas tank with the gas cap still on it. It's going to make a mess. The gas isn't going to go where it needs to go. It's like, how can any of you receive a gift when your hands are what? Are closed. It's impossible. You can't receive a gift like this. So how many of us as believers might need to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a spiritual posture daily and corporately and individually where we're beginning to open ourselves up again to that? And you know what part of that process is? It's called repentance. It's called being torn and brokenhearted over our own sinfulness. Someone said this, I might I stole it from somewhere, but I don't know where it came from, but I'll, I'll say it this way. It says that we are blessed with broken hearts because our hearts that are torn are hearts that are now open to receive what God has for us. You get the picture? A heart that is torn, a heart that is broken, is now open so that we can receive what God has for us. So there can be no realization of this spiritual revival, this dream to see this promise fulfilled until it starts with who? It starts with me, and it starts with you. It starts in the household of God. Dream number two, we should dream to see God use people from every walk of life to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you four groups of people this morning, and you're going to be probably in one of these four groups. You ready? Ready? If we're going to realize this dream, there is a dream that we should dream that God would use people from every walk of life. So this is an all-inclusive promise. This is an all-inclusive dream for people from every single walk of life to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. Number one, there's still hope for our children. Parents today, grandparents today, I know your heart. I know we're struggling. I know we look at the next generation. We look at our children, and look, how many times have I heard... Many of you and many and myself included say this. You know what? It was it was pretty tough when I was growing up, but I don't even want to think about what it's gonna be like when our children grow up. I've heard that so many times. Why why do we say that? Why why are we so concerned about our children? Isn't everything just okay? Isn't everything rocket along just fine? You know, there's nothing new under the sun. The reason we say that is because we look at the state of our world and we look at it not necessarily getting any better, at least in my estimation, and we look at our children like, what is it if it's this hard right now on us and on our teenagers and on our young married couples, and what is it going to be like 10 years now, 15 years from now for our children? But I want to tell you there's a dream, God's dream, that there's still hope. Parents, let me ask you this question. What kind of life do you want for your sons and daughters? Grandparents, let me ask you this question. What kind of life do you want for your grandchildren? How do you see your children or your grandchildren in the next 15, 20 years? Picture it. I want you to really try to picture what, what do you want for them? How many times have I heard a parent say, I just want them to have a better life than I did? You know? You want them to get a good education. I'm sure sure that's in the picture somewhere, right? It's all about an education. You want them to find a good career where they can have a good job and hopefully provide for their family and make some good money and be financially secure, and maybe they'll settle down, and maybe your children will get married one day. And, and of course, you hope that they get get their children in church. Now, let me say something about all of those things that I just mentioned. There's nothing wrong in the world with those things at all. Those are all good things. And we should talk to our children about planning for the future and getting a good education and making sure that they can provide for that. There's nothing wrong. Please talk to your children about those things. But let me ask you another question. What kind of life do you think God wants for your children? Has anything changed? It's a little bit of a different question, right? Right? See, it's a lot different from thinking, what do you want your children? What do you want their future to be? But now all of a sudden, okay, well, let's, let's take ourselves out of it. What, does, what do you think God wants for our next generation and our children? What kind of future would be pleasing to him? Well, the dream of God, if you want all of your dreams to come true for your children, what is the dream of God for our sons and daughters? It says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will begin to get a good education. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? That your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. That your sons and daughters will be heralds and preachers and teachers and missionaries and communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in their generation they would go and engage the darkness of this world and advance the kingdom of God and lead millions of people to Jesus Christ. Is that the dream for your children? How many of you are praying right now, Lord, I pray that my child becomes a missionary and goes into the most difficult part of the world the rest of their life? Lord, I pray that you would call my son or my daughter to ministry and that they would be a a, a preacher, a teacher of the word of God. How many of us are praying that for our children? That's God's dream. I can guarantee you if you begin to pray that for your children, God wants that just as much as you do. Your dreams will be fulfilled. Your dreams will come true if you're willing to pray that prayer for your children. But at the forefront of our children's lives, we should see from this passage of Scripture, there's eternal significance for our children to be unashamed witnesses of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters who boldly proclaim the word of God. Until we start praying for more preachers and teachers and not lawyers and bankers, I don't think we're going to see a change in this. As parents really wanting that future generation, our sons and daughters, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Bold, unashamed witnesses. And let me say, let me mention this as well. It's not just our sons. I don't, I don't have any daughters. I have three sons. But many of you out there, you have daughters. It's also for our daughters. How many times do we limit the future of our daughters just thinking, I just hope that she marries a good man that's going to make a lot of money? Is that, is that the, 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 the limit of your expectation for your daughter? Why not we pray in big, bold dreams for our daughters too that they would be used mightily of God on the mission field or maybe they marry a pastor or maybe they get called into ministry themselves or maybe they're making an impact in whatever it is that God has called and created them to be. Dynamic wives and mothers who are making disciples for Christ. You know what? Our mothers, what I've understood is that many times our wives and our mothers are going to have more influence over the lives of their own children than the fathers do because they spend more time with their children. They're there to be able to lay the foundation, the spiritual foundation of their, of their children. And so if you're here and you have children of your own and you're looking ahead to their future, what is your prayer for your sons and for your daughters? Are we settling for the American dream that reduces the purpose of our children to the temporary, fleeting world around us? Are we settling for that? Because I can promise you, all that's good and well, but it has no eternal significance. And in the end, it just doesn't deliver. It just does not deliver. Sons and daughters. The second group is that there's still a divine path for our millennials. What a, what a popular word today, right? Where are all the millennials? Who is a millennial? Millennials, somewhere usually around 20 years old to about 35 years old, is a, is a generation that, that falls into that category, that age group of category. It's, it's what Peter says. You know, Peter knew about millennials. Did you know that? He just calls them a little bit of a different name. What did he, what did he use? Young men. Peter's saying, Our young men will see vision again. Our young men will learn to see visions again. Now, I understand in the Bible there are specific interactions with God where, where God's chosen servants see visions. They have an encounter with God that's, that's unique where God wants to reveal something to them, so they, God comes to them. Maybe it's Abraham, maybe it's Daniel, but they begin to see visions, and so that's how God chooses to communicate. But just in a general sense, let me tell you what vision means. Vision means that you see something from God's perspective. Vision is that you see something from God's perspective. Vision in general is what our millennials desperately need. Our millennials, our young men, and again, this is specific to young men because we know that as we grow up, our men are called to be the spiritual leaders and the shakers and movers of our society. And so he is specifically calling out young men. And he's saying, men, you need to regain a divine perspective. You need to be able to regain a divine perspective so you can follow a divine path. If you don't know where you're going, if you don't have divine perspective, you no way you're going to be able to follow the path that God has for you. So how are our young men doing today? I know that there are bright spots out there. And I know there's a lot of young men in this room today that I'm proud to know, and I know you're leading your families, and you're following hard after God, and, and you are stepping up, to that role, that, that role to live your life according to biblical vision. But I have to say that if we take a step back and we look at our, the state of our young men, and again, I'm talking in the context of the United States of America because that's where we live and we look at our young men today, increasingly more, we have young men who are workaholics, heathens, means they're chasing after the, the things and the pleasures of this world. We see perpetual adolescence. What does that mean? It means a young man who's yet to what? grow up, many of them are still living with their parents, many of them are are unwilling to get married, which means there's a lot of young women out there looking for an eligible bachelor, just somebody they could marry, and there's like, there's nobody to marry, everybody's still living with their parents, they don't even have a job. It's funny, but it's sad. Many of our young men are addicted to pornography and living in a virtual world of online video games and fantasy sports. Think about that. Vision. Many of our young men are locked into a virtual reality of vision that is leading them down the path of lies, emptiness, fruitlessness. They're so disengaged with what God really has for them. And as long as our young men remain lost in this virtual cloud and reject their God-given responsibility to see things from God's perspective and God's vision... They're not going to be able to make the difference and fulfill the dream that God has for them. But there is a promise here. And young men, I'm talking to you. God wants to empower you. He wants to give you the wisdom and courage that you need to become the mighty man that he is calling you, that he's created you to be. Kingdom men, seeing things from God's perspective, becoming the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. And so I guess the the, the challenge for our millennials today is that there is still hope, there is still a divine path for you, but you may be headed in the wrong direction. And so the biblical definition, if you're headed one way and you're headed down the wrong path and you're seeing things from a virtual reality of a bunch of lies, what's the only thing you can do you have to turn around and what is that biblically what do we say that's repent you're headed one way it's the wrong way God's calling you just to repent turn around turn around bring it all to him and get back on track with him there's still hope for our millennials there remains number three a greater purpose for our older men I told you he doesn't leave anybody out we talk about sons and daughters. We talk about young men. Now we look at our old men. This is a beautiful picture. It says our older men will dream dreams. Now, older men in the room, I want to ask you this question. Think back to when you were just a little boy. Can you do that? Just try to think back with me for just a minute. When you were just a little lad and you had no not a worry in the world and your whole life was still before you, and I promise you, I bet you that you had some big what? Bet you had some big dreams. You just could imagine just, just all kind of things just in your future, just big, big dreams, and then life happens, right? And you get married, and you get caught up in the rat race, and you get a job, and you look up, and you're getting ready to retire, and you're just sitting there thinking, what happened to my life? I didn't picture my life to be like this. And many of our older men, the only thing that y'all are trying to do is get to a place where you can retire comfortably so that you've paid your dues and and you've you've done your part and now you can just kind of take a breath and sit back and relax and coast it on out for the rest of your life. Is that biblical vision? Is that a biblical dream? Is that God's dream for you, my older men, my, my brothers? It's not. There's a greater purpose. There's a... There's a God-giving purpose. You know how much we need you, older men, we need you. We need, our families need you, our churches need you, our communities need you, our world needs you. And some of you just need to wake up And understand that you do still have purpose. You do have something to live for. It's not just coasting. It's not just being comfortable. It's not just living out your retirement in ease. There is a greater purpose for you. And we need you, older men, to begin praying again and dreaming again and investing in our next generation again and believing God to do great works again. We need you, older men, to finish strong, not fizzle out. We need you. You know who one of my favorite characters in the Bible is? Is Caleb. Caleb was a fascinating man. Let me tell you something about Caleb. We know Caleb and Joshua, he was one of the two spies that went into the promised land. He came out with great faith. He said, we can do this. God's given us the land. And as a matter of fact of his faith, Caleb and Joshua were the only two of his generation that got to enter into the promised land. Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land, but Joshua and Caleb did. And there's a story in the book of uh, Joshua chapter 14, that's an amazing story. I'm not going to go there to read it, but let me just kind of summarize it for you. Caleb is in his retirement years. He's, he, the, the, the children of Israel had conquered most of the promised land. Now they're starting to allot different properties and parcels of land to different heads of the families there in the nation of Israel. And it's time for Caleb to get a choice because he's going to get a choice to where he wants to settle down. And you know what Caleb said? He says, you know what? I want to settle down up on that mountain up there. You know why? Because guess what's still up there on those mountains? There's giants that still live up on them. There's some, there's some wicked Canaanite giants that still live up there on that mountain. And if you want to give me a piece of land, I'm going to choose that mountain because I'm not done fighting yet. I'm going to finish what God has started. Caleb could have said, hey, I want a good, cush piece of land somewhere out here where I can live out the rest of my days and take it easy and enjoy my family and not get in any type of trouble. But Caleb said, no, no, that's not the man of faith that I'm going to be. I have a bigger dream from that. I have God's dream in my heart. I want to go up there and continue fighting for the Lord. Older man, do you have that in you? Do you have that deep desire in you? Your work is not finished. And lastly, there's a unique opportunity for the least of these. The least of these. He mentions male servants and female servants will begin to prophesy. I think I'll just put it to you very simply. I won't spend a lot of time here. But God wants to take the least of these, the ordinary, and he wants to do something extraordinary. Extraordinary. I'm part of a ministry down in Mississippi called Warrior Discipleship Ministry. A good friend of mine and I started this ministry about four or five years ago. And he, he uh, provides a home for men who have come out of lives of addiction. And they bring them in and they just give them a place to stay and they saturate them in the gospel of Christ. And many, almost most of them are are born again and converted and saved through the process. And then he teaches them through a year-long process how to become men, how to become disciples of Christ, how to become witness for Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating and a fantastic ministry. And my brother, John Edmonds, who started this ministry, he believes, and I believe with him, that God is preparing and raising up an army of former addicts, people who have struggled... Former prisoners, people who have made very terrible, bad mistakes in their past, and God has taken that group of people, and he's doing a great and a mighty work in those group of people, the least of these people, and he wants to take them and use them and do great works for God's kingdom. I believe that with all of my heart. Because when you see God do a work like that in a person who is least least likely to do something like that, you know that it wasn't them that did it you know immediately that it was who? It was God that did it through them. And God gets the greater glory when he takes the least of us and he does great works through us. And there should be encouragement for you this morning because you may be sitting out there and you're like, you know what, Brother Marcus, I don't think God can use me. What, what am I here for? What purpose do I have? I'm nobody. I, I don't have any gifts. I, don't have, I can't stand up and preach like you do. I don't, look, that's exactly who God is looking for. You're exactly who he's looking for. He wants to take you and use you to fulfill this great dream. And I know deep in your heart, if you'll take a minute just to stop and be silent before him, there's something in there burning inside of you. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, there's something in you burning right now. And you're like, you know what, I have always believed that I've... I'm here to live for a greater purpose. I have always believed that God wants to do something great in my life. I just don't know what it is. I want to promise you today that if you're willing to submit yourself to him and open yourself up to him, he will show you and he will use you. Dream number three. We should dream to see the return of Jesus in the coming day of the Lord's judgment. Think about that for a second. We should dream to see the return of Jesus in the coming day of the Lord's judgment. And in the context of the passage of Joel, Joel gives us some descriptions of what it's going to be like before the great and magnificent day of the Lord. He talks about signs in heaven, signs on the earth, blood, fire, vapors of smoke, the the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon will be turned to blood before the coming of the day of the Lord. So in the context of this entire passage, Peter is preaching this sermon with the view of Jesus Christ and his return in mind. And you and I ought to live our lives the very same way. We should live our lives with the view of the return of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our minds every single day. But is it, is it wrong for us to want Jesus to come back? Of course, as believers, we say, no, but what's the implications? When Jesus does return indeed to this earth, we have to understand it's going to be a great day for you and me who are believers, but it's going to be a living nightmare for those who are not. You see, our greatest dream will come true when Jesus returns. That's, that's the realization Jesus is here. We are like him. We will be with him forever. There will be no more sorrow, weeping, no more mourning or death. But for those who do not know Jesus, for the rest of the world who separated from him or who have rejected him, that is the worst day of their life. That should motivate you and motivate me to understand that, yes, we should dream this big dream and look for and hasten the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says it that way. He says, as we as God's children, we wait patiently, but we also hasten the day. The word hasten there means we want it to hurry up. How many of you in this room today want the return of Jesus to hurry up? I do. Do you know that we are given a part in how to speed up that process? Do you know how we hurry up or hasten the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know how we do that? We go and we make disciples. That's what it's all about. We go and we take the gospel to the ends of the earth because every time we witness, every time we share our faith, every time we make a disciple in the name of Jesus Christ, we are bringing that one step closer to the return of Jesus because the only reason that he has not come yet and the only reason he is waiting to return is because he's so full of grace And he's so full of mercy that he's wanting everybody that can possibly be saved to be saved before he comes. It's because of his mercy. That's the only reason the Lord has not returned. So there's people all around us. There's people all out there who are yet to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord's just waiting on you and me to hasten up the process so that we go out there and share with them. That's how we hasten the great day. Of the Lord's coming. And here's the last one. We should dream number four as I close. And this is a mouthful, but I want you to let it sink in, okay? We should dream that God will use us to call sinners to repent and trust Jesus Christ, okay? That's step one. And that sinners will call upon the name of the Lord and forever be saved. Now think about this. There's a twofold promise. In the promise, in the dream, in God's heart, in in the heart before even he made and created the foundation of the world, you know what was in the heart of God. He knew that there would be sin. He knew that there would be a fall of man. He knew that man would rebel and reject him. And he had a plan in place to redeem and to save lost mankind. That was in God's heart. That was his original dream. You see, redemption and the cross was not plan B. It's always been what? Plan A. The fall of Adam did not take God by surprise, and he had to all of a sudden, you know, wring his hands and say, oh, what am I going to do now? I've got to figure out a way to save these fallen men. No. He knew that was going to happen. The plan A was always the cross. It was always salvation. It was always redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the promise is twofold. When God pours out his spirit upon you, when he pours out his spirit upon me, he empowers us and compels us to be his witnesses so that we will actually go and share the gospel. I do not believe a Christian has lived, truly lived, until God uses them to be a witness and to lead somebody else to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. It's hard for me to believe that a Christian has really truly lived and experienced life that God has intended for you and me to live until he uses you to reach somebody else for Jesus Christ. So the promise to be poured out, the spirit to be poured out, the dream to be realized is for us, that we would be these vessels to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and call upon sinners. That's what it means, to call upon them, be saved, repent, be saved, trust Jesus. He's done this for me. He will do the same for you. But then the promise is twofold. He also gives these sinners the ability, without the Holy Spirit can a sinner be saved. I'm living testimony of that. Isn't that your testimony? If you're here today, the reason that you're here today, if you're a Christian here today, You're probably a believer here today because somebody else was willing, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to take time and share the gospel with you. Am I wrong? Maybe it was the preacher preaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Maybe it was your parents in your own home. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or a best friend. Maybe it was a family member. But the reason you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ is because somebody else took the time to share the gospel with you. Are you going to be that for somebody else? Will you do that? Will you be willing to let God use you in such a mighty way where you will experience salvation and you will see other people saved because you were a willing vessel open to the dream of God? You know, dreaming takes risk. Let me say that again. To dream big dreams, there's going to be risk involved. I've heard it said that nothing that is really worth doing is easy to do. Have you ever heard that said before? If something that's really worth doing, really putting your time, effort, and energy into, it's not going to be easy. Typically, it's going to be very, very difficult. So I'm telling you right now, That if you're willing to to be part of this God-given dream to reach other people with the gospel so that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, if you're willing to be used by God, there's going to be risk involved. You know what? People are going to laugh at you. They're going to shut the door in your face. You're going to lose relationships over it. You're going to be ridiculed, and you may lose your job. You may be persecuted for it. That's all going to be expected because there's always going to be great risk involved in great dreams. But I promise you, it is worth it. Whatever it is that we have to face, it is worth it. Because if we're faithful in that, that affects the person's eternal salvation. Are we willing to give up a few temporary comforts to allow God to use us to affect somebody's eternity? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. How are they going to call on him if they've not believed? And how are they going to believe of whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching? As our praise team comes on up, I want to close with this. God is calling you and me to join him in the greatest dream ever known. And that's the dream of saving sinners, saving lost souls for all eternity. You see, God wants us to be a part of that. It's not that we save anybody, but he wants to allow us to experience it with him, to be his chosen vessels, to be his communicators, to be His ambassadors, to be His hands and feet and His heart and His his love and His light in this dark world. If you and I are willing to be used of God, I can promise you that all our dreams will come true. One day, Jesus is coming back. One day, the, the, the clouds... We'll be rolled back and the trumpet will sound and Jesus will come back and it will all be settled. It will all be finished. And we're going to be able to take a moment, I believe, to look back on our life. And at that moment, I really believe it's going to hit home deep, deep in our heart. Was the time and the effort and the energy that we spent on earth, was it all about Jesus? Could we have done more? Did we waste any opportunity? Did we waste any time? So wherever you are today, wherever God's doing in your heart right now, I want to ask you, in Christ, do you believe that all your dreams will come true? And are you ready? Are you ready to allow him to use you to become part of that dream so that we can all look back and say, you know what? The Lord will look at us, and he will say, well done. Well done, my good and my faithful servant. That's what life's all about. That's what it's all about. So as we sing, I want you guys always, we have a time to respond. We have Brother John here. We have myself up here. We're all here for you. If you need to come pray, if you need to talk to somebody, maybe you've been disobedient. Maybe you've been heading down the wrong path. Maybe you want to know about joining the church. Maybe you you want to know about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the time. This is the time to do it. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, allow God and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart today and minister to you wherever you have need. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you again for a wonderful day, an opportunity to be reminded of your plan, your purpose, your will, your dream, and then to know that you are just asking, inviting, and calling us to be a part of it. I pray, God, that our view of you would increase, that our view of our purpose on this earth would increase. And that we would live out our days, Lord, no matter where we are, we would live out our days bringing honor and glory to you to the very end and we would finish strong. We would finish strong in faith. Father, we love you and we thank you. Now, would you minister to our hearts according to your purpose and your Holy Spirit right now as we sing. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand in.